here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking cases against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that, honestly, none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, if you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. This week's episode is a listener suggestion. Thank you to Donna for bringing April's story to my attention. It is listeners like you that keep the podcast going. And as my way to say thank you to you all, every episode for the rest of the year will be a suggestion from one of you. If there is a story you feel needs more attention, please comment in the pinned post in the Facebook group or message me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. October 2012. What began as any normal day would soon turn into a nightmare for a family in the small Welsh community of Mahuntleth. A desperate mother makes a phone call that would spark the largest missing person search in British police history, as detectives were in a race against time to find a little girl who had been kidnapped. This is April's story. April Sue Lynn Jones was born April 4, 2007, to parents Paul and Coral Jones. April was the baby of the family and so very, very loved by her parents and older siblings Jasmine and Harley. April couldn't wait to join her family and would be born seven weeks premature. Unfortunately, she would have a seizure soon after birth, which caused cerebral palsy on the left-hand side of her body. That never stopped April, though. She didn't let her disability be an excuse, and she was determined to do everything her older siblings did. April was friendly and outgoing, and she made friends wherever she went. April's family would later say that April ruled the household with her cheeky personality, but she was also kind and happy, always smiling. She worked hard at school, which she loved, and she was adored by her classmates and teachers. Only the day before she disappeared, she received a glowing school report stating how well April was doing in her classes. The Jones family lived in the small housing estate of Brindagog in Mahuntleth, Wales, and this community was small and quiet, young families who looked out for each other. It was the kind of town where your kids were my kids. It was safe, and parents had no concerns letting their children play outside on their own. And this is exactly what happened on the evening of October 1st, 2012, when April was taken by her killer. Monday, October 1st, 2012. The day was just like any other day for the family. They went to school and work, and then together to a local leisure centre, where five-year-old April had a swimming lesson. After this, April brought a friend home with them and they were playing while April's father, Paul, cooked the family their dinner. After dinner, April asked her mother, Coral, if she and the friend could go outside to ride their bikes. And as April had been such a good kid lately and with that school report the day before, her mother agreed as a treat to give her youngest child a little extra playtime outside, but only if they stayed in front of the house. 7.20pm It was getting dark outside and Paul asked seven-year-old Harley to go get his sister. 
While it was a safe neighbourhood, he wasn't fussed with the girls being outside by themselves after dark, being they were only five and seven years old. However, Harley frantically ran back in only a few minutes later, screaming to his parents, They've taken her. Someone has taken April. Harley told his parents April had gotten into a van and this van drove away with her. April had been outside for only 20 minutes. Not exactly believing what they were hearing, Paul and Coral raced outside and it was true. April's bike was lying there on the side of the road near where her friend was standing, obviously shaken herself. Coral called 999, but unable to get the words together, she handed the phone over to a friend to report her daughter's abduction. Pike, police emergency. I've been kidnapped. I live in the house with a dog. Hang on, Val, can you speak to me? Hello. And what makes you think um, the daughter's well, been kidnapped? Apparently, um, she's gone off in a car with somebody. Somebody's picked up in a car or something. Okay, what's the name of the child that's gone missing? April Jones. April, how old is she? Five. Police turned up within minutes and started to try to figure out exactly what happened here, and a search quickly began a search that would become the largest missing person search in British police history. Coral called her eldest child, 16-year-old Jasmine, to come home, that she needed her as April was missing. Jasmine was at a youth club meeting, and what would have been terrifying for this child, she arrived home to a number of police cars parked outside of her home and dozens of people walking around and shouting her sister's name. Paul and Coral were home waiting to comfort a frantic Jasmine. April's parents were told they were not to take part in any of the search efforts. Police concerned they would find April deceased, and they didn't want her parents to be the ones to find her, particularly because the first instinct of a parent to find their child would be to pick them up and hug them, and this could destroy potential forensic evidence. Within minutes of April's disappearance... OK, people, let's go forward. ..the people of McCuntleth had turned out in their hundreds to help in the search. Right. Alongside professional volunteers, they carried on through the night. There's a large number of people here this morning and we are very grateful indeed for all of your help and assistance. And into the following day. As I said, this community was very small and tight-knit. They would do anything for each other and they stayed out throughout the night in the rain and icy cold conditions to search for April. And this was by no means an easy suburban search area. The search was difficult and marred by steep terrain and dense woods with streams, rivers and gorges in the mountainous countryside, which would have been risky for police and volunteer searches in the best weather conditions. But add in heavy rain and freezing temperatures and it was dark. Police were concerned for the volunteers' safety. But even after police told them to go home, they refused, knowing that if this sweet little girl they all knew and loved, if she was out there in the cold and needed them, they wanted to find her. Neighbours armed with flashlights looked into garages, down alleyways and into scrub, anywhere a little girl could be scared and hiding. There was also some urgency here that April be found, because she needed daily medication to help her with the symptoms of her cerebral palsy, and she obviously didn't have that wherever she was. Out searching till about three o'clock, they've gone home to bed for a couple of hours, and they've come back for half a six for daylight, ready to go again. I've got two people who don't have transport, so I'm going to take them with me, and I'll meet you at this junction then. Lovely. Police are going to tell the 
locals to stop, I don't think they're going to stop anyway, because it's so such a close-knit community. We just need to find it. Unfortunately, while this large community support was amazing, it did somewhat hamper the police investigation, because people went home to be questioned if they saw or heard anything unusual at the time April was taken. They could only question them the following day when they all returned home. April's photo and description were posted on social media, so if anyone saw her, they knew she was missing and would call the police. And the media put out alerts that April was missing and endangered, asking for tips or sightings. All of this was comforting for Coral and Paul, that everyone was doing everything they could to find their daughter. Quote, There is a great pride in how many people helped us to look for April. Unquote. But police needed more information, and they spoke to April's seven-year-old friend with the hopes she could give them a description of the car and person who took her missing friend. Now, while this little girl could not remember much, what she did remember busted the case wide open. She told police the man driving the car had brown hair and a beard, and that she saw April willingly get into the car, a grey Land Rover Ranger. But key to the investigation... When April got into the car, it was the wrong side. And what this told police was the person who took April was driving a left-hand vehicle. Now, this isn't common in the UK, and Australia for that matter, because we drive on the left-hand side of the road and our steering wheels are on the right-hand side, the opposite of those in the US and Canada, for example. And while a quick Google search tells me these cars are actually illegal in Australia... But in the UK, you can get a permit to drive a left-hand vehicle. So this really narrowed down the suspect pool for police because there just weren't many left-hand vehicles registered in Mahuntleth. And this list was further narrowed down to one when police told Coral and Paul the new information in the case because they knew exactly who the police need to question, a man that had inappropriately messaged their other daughter, Jasmine, two years earlier. Police now had their prime suspect, 46-year-old Mark Bridger, a man who, it would be later revealed, had taken part in several of the search efforts for the missing girl. Mark Bridger was a local and had lived in Mahuntleth his whole life. Rightly or wrongly, Bridger had quite a reputation around town, having six children to four different women, none of whom he had a relationship with. Bridger lived on his own with his border collie dog and was seen as a loner and a little odd. Bridger had a drinking problem, which did cause him to lose jobs and relationships. Actually, the day before April went missing, his latest girlfriend had broken up with him because of his heavy drinking. Bridger had an extensive criminal record and had done jail time. His convictions including theft, possession of a firearm, criminal damage, driving without a licence and domestic abuse but he had managed to stay out of trouble for the last decade. Police decided the best course of action was to monitor Bridges' movements in the days that followed, to see if he did anything suspicious or anything that may lead them to April. There was that hope that she was still alive, and they didn't want to rush and confront Bridger out of fear he would hurt April if he knew the police were closing in. On the morning of October 2nd, 2012, the day after April's disappearance, Bridger was spotted by police helicopter walking his dog near the Dyfi River. And something the police did find strange was that the entire time Bridger did not look up towards the helicopter once, 
which generally your normal response when you hear a helicopter, you look up into the sky towards it. Well, I know I do. And if you look at the footage of him walking, he does look really suspicious. Like he is walking quickly and his head is looking straight down at his feet. It's very strange. But police believed that this behaviour indicated he knew they were watching him, so he was overly trying to be normal. Bridger had also changed his appearance. He had cut his hair and shaved off his beard. While they knew he wasn't home, police had gotten a warrant to search Bridger's cottage home in Mount Pleasant, three miles away from where April was last seen. Police had good reason to believe he had taken April, and if he had, April may still be there. When police entered, they called out April's name, but there was no answer. Police would notice the home was very hot, because even though Bridger wasn't home, there was a roaring fire in his fireplace with knives all around it. One knife in particular had been burnt. But also there was a strong smell of bleach, as though Bridger had recently cleaned his entire home meticulously. With this information and the fact Bridger drove one of the only left-hand vehicles in the area, that very evening at 8pm, police arrested him on suspicion of the abduction of April Jones. Police were prepared for hours of interrogation, but that wasn't necessary, because Bridger straight up admitted he had not only taken April, but he had killed her. But it was all a tragic accident. Bridger then became an emotional wreck, and despite being told he didn't need to say anything without a lawyer present, Bridger kept talking. He'd accidentally hit April with his car, and in a panic, he decided to pick her up and put her into his car. The attempted CPR, but quickly realised that her injuries were just too severe and she had died. Now, this version of events contradicted what April's friend told police about the abduction, that she saw April willingly get into the car. Never once did this friend mention April had been struck by a car or anything remotely like that. Bridger flat out denied ever taking her to his home and said he never sexually abused the little girl. When police asked Bridger where April was now, he said he didn't know, that he'd spent the day drinking alcohol and by the time the accident happened, he was just too intoxicated to remember where he disposed of April's remains. All he did remember was it was somewhere out in the rain and somewhere safe. He claimed he didn't know the little girl was April Jones until he saw her photo on the news media that morning, which doesn't make sense to me considering he was helping with the search for April the night before. Even though police did not believe Bridges' story of how it happened, they now knew this was no longer a missing persons investigation. This was a homicide and a recovery mission to find April's remains. Police had the heartbreaking task of informing Paul and Coral, which I could not imagine how difficult this was for police, and how devastated the Joneses were hearing this news. They were still holding on to that hope their daughter was still alive. But they tried their best to stay strong for their two other children and for April, because they wanted her found so they could say their goodbyes. Coral speaking to the media, begging for their help to bring her little girl back to her. Unless there's someone out there who knows where she is and can help the police find her. We are desperate for any news. Ava is only five years old. Please, please help find her. (laughs) 
relation to this specific investigation, as I said earlier, we're pursuing a number of lines of inquiry, and Mark Bridger is one of them. And in relation to the images that I circulated to you earlier today, which was the Land Rover Discovery and Mark Bridger's photograph, can I again ask, did you see this vehicle between Monday evening and Tuesday afternoon? And do you know Mark Bridger? And did you see him during that time period, Monday evening and Tuesday afternoon? And if you have any information, please contact us on the Child Rescue Alert Line. Police started the search for April's body, and without any idea where to search, they searched everywhere in the vicinity between Bridges' home and the housing estate where the Jones family lived. With cadaver dogs, police searched ditches, rivers and forests, anywhere Bridger could have disposed of April. Meanwhile, forensic examinations were conducted of Bridges' cottage home. And as I mentioned earlier, police did smell bleach when they first entered the home, in particular the bathroom. It was obvious that Bridger had cleaned the home just prior to the police entering. But not well enough, because small blood particles were found throughout the cottage. But because how little blood there was, ownership of this blood could not be determined. However, there was a substantial amount of blood found in front of the fireplace, enough to soak through to the underside of the carpet. The fire going in the fireplace whilst no one was home was also suspicious. And when the fireplace was examined, bone fragments were found, 17 bone fragments in total. These bones were forensically tested and were deemed to be human skull bones and belonging to April Jones. Police theorised that Bridget killed April in front of the fireplace, possibly dismembering her body in the bathroom, and then tried to burn any evidence of what he had done in the fireplace. Police also believe that after Bridger burnt April's body, he disposed of the ashes and bone fragments around the area where he lived. Mark Bridger's digital possessions were taken to be examined, and it would be Bridger's laptop that provided police with a probable motive, one that police and April's parents feared the most. Now, as I mentioned earlier, two years earlier, in 2010, Bridger had contacted then 14-year-old Jasmine Jones on Facebook Messenger, telling her he was friends with her father, Paul. Thankfully, Jasmine ignored these messages and went straight to her father. She knew that a grown man in his 40s should not be messaging an underage teenage girl. And Paul felt the same because, despite the obvious, it was inappropriate. But he also barely knew Bridger. They may have said hello to each other in the street because small, friendly town, but they certainly weren't friends. Paul didn't take it any further. He didn't confront Bridger. He simply told Jasmine to block him on Facebook, which she did. So there was that history between the family and Bridger. On Bridger's laptop, he had also saved pictures of April and Jasmine. Several of Bridger's children went to the same school April went to and Jasmine before that. So no one would have thought it strange for Bridger to be at the school, under the guise of picking up his own children but he had used that opportunity to take photos of the girls to keep for whatever perverted sick purpose he had for them. Bridger also had photos of other child murder victims, such as Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, who were murdered in Soham, and 13-year-old Carolyn Dixon, 
who was raped and murdered in a French hostel during a school trip. Police also would determine from his laptop that on the day April disappeared, Bridger was on a dating website, messaging multiple women to meet him for a drink, none of which took him up on his offer. Instead, Bridger started to drink heavily, and in the hours before the abduction, Bridger watched violent pornographic videos, in particular cartoons of children being molested by adults. Horrifically, it did appear that April Jones's abduction and murder was sexually motivated, and it is believed she would have been sexually assaulted prior to her death. When confronted with all of this, Bridger stuck to his story, that the death was an accident and he didn't remember what he did with April's remains. But it didn't matter. Police had enough evidence to charge Mark Bridger with the abduction and murder of April Jones. Bridger entered a plea of not guilty, and the trial was set to commence April 29, 2013, at Mould Crown Court. During the trial, Bridger took the stand, still sticking to his accident story. He did change part of his story, however, that he did take April back to his home, and he lied her on the living room floor to give her some, quote, peace and quiet, unquote, even though he claimed she was dead by this point. Throughout the trial, the jury was presented with all the evidence the state had against Bridger. The blood evidence, bone fragments found in the fireplace, and the evidence that showed Bridger had an obsession with both Jones girls and child pornography. Unbelievably, Bridger tried to reason why he had almost 400 indecent images and videos of children on his laptop. Violent child pornography. It was because he was trying to teach his own children about puberty and the way your body changes. What the actual fuck. Obviously, no one believed Bridger. Today, her parents, Paul and Coral, watched in court as Mark Bridger was found guilty of abduction and murder. We are relieved that Mark Bridger has today been found guilty of the murder of our beautiful daughter, April. April will be forever in our hearts and we are so moved by the overwhelming support we have had from so many people from all over the world. May 13th, 2013. Mark Bridger was found guilty of the abduction and murder of April Jones. He was also found guilty of perverting the course of justice by disposing and concealing her body. Bridger was sentenced to life imprisonment with the recommendation he should never be released. Despite knowing he will spend the rest of his days behind bars, Bridger has never admitted guilt or revealed what really happened to April on the day he took her. He has stuck to his same accident story during 13 police interviews and at trial, many believing this is the last bit of control he refuses to relinquish. The judge pronouncing him during sentencing as a, quote, pathological and gib liar, a pedophile who harboured sexual and morbid fantasies about young girls, unquote. The detective in charge of the investigation, Andrew John, told the waiting media, quote, Mark Bridger is an evil and manipulative individual who clearly likes to be in control. He's committed the most horrific of crimes, the abduction and murder of a young, vulnerable girl. Unquote. We don't want April's life to be a, a total waste. I mean, we've got our memories and stuff, but we're in, we find ourselves in the situation where people will listen to us or sympathise with us. And so I think in April's memory, we should try and push the law and make make the general public aware of the paedophiles that are out there. In the years since April's murder, 
Coral and Paul Jones started a campaign which is known as April's Law. What they hope will come from this law is harsher sentencing for sex offenders and for sex offenders to be on the sex offender register for life. It will also require search engines like Google and Bing to stop allowing sex offenders to so easy find indecent images of children and child pornography. July 2013. The BBC reported Mark Bridger had been attacked while in prison. The now 47-year-old was attacked with a knife fashioned from a prison-issued razor blade. He was slashed from temple to chin, severing an artery. Honestly, they should have turned a blind eye and left him to die. But unfortunately, he was treated in hospital for his injuries that required stitches. September 23, 2013. Just five days before the first anniversary of April's abduction and murder, her funeral was held. Hundreds of people from the community attended to support the family and pay their respects for this beautiful little girl that was taken far too soon. Because Bridger never revealed where April was, the family were to bury an empty casket that was transported to the gravesite pulled by a horse-drawn carriage. But the police gave the family the ashes and bone fragments found, which was placed in the casket, along with some of April's favourite possessions, giving the family somewhere to visit and remember their sweet little girl. Last October, the ribbons were the symbol of the search. Today, they are a tribute to her, and hundreds of people who had joined that search joined the solemn procession. Parents here holding their children close, too many mourners to fit inside the church. November 2013. Following the horror it had been a part of, the cottage where Bridger lived and murdered little April was bought by the Welsh government and demolished. April's family have said this has been a big relief for them. Now every time they pass through the area, they aren't reminded of this is where April was killed. For the both of you, what did this house come to represent? The horrific murder of my daughter. And a five-year-old life just taken away. And it's just nightmares ever since she was taken. To have this house knocked down today is... It's just a relief for us. It's something that isn't going to be bothering us, isn't going to be plaguing us for the rest. Like It sits on the back of your mind all the time, Mike. And the main road is just there, and we drive past that main road like, every couple of three days, like, and it's, it's there. So there's no worries about us going past, and it's a relief. And perhaps we can move on a little. The following month, December 2013, the judicial office said that Bridger had launched an application for permission to appeal. However, these attempts would be abandoned only a month later, 11 days before the hearing was set to take place. And in early 2018, tragedy struck the family once again. April's father, Paul, developed a rare brain disease that was contracted from a cold sore. This brain disease has meant that Paul lost a lot of his memory. Paul actually forgot what happened to his daughter, and when he was at the hospital, he asked his wife Coral where was April and when was she coming to visit him too. Coral having to tell him what happened to her five years earlier, which would have been soul-destroying for the both of them. To have to relive that moment again from when the police told them what happened to her, I could not imagine. It is April's family's hope that April would be remembered for the joy and happiness that she brought to those around her, and not for the tragic way she left this earth. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, 
or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives. Please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.